There are many ways people listen to Vision, including DAB Plus Digital Radio. If you're in Greater Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane and have a digital radio receiver in your car or home, you'll find Vision Christian Radio on the station list. If you're visiting one of these cities and hiring a car, there's a good chance it will have a DAB receiver and you'll be able to enjoy vision with exceptional sound quality while you drive around. If you don't already own a DAB receiver, you'll find many models, including clock radios at electronic retailers for under $100. To find out more about vision on digital radio and whether you're within the broadcast footprint, see vision.org.au slash DAB. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. 2,000 years after the birth of this carpenter, every time a human being thinks about time or dates, you remember Jesus has become the hinge of human history. Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll hear a bit about what the world would look like without Jesus and how different things would be had Jesus not come. It was only until the Jesus movement came and Jesus talked about that gender and nationality and economic status should not make a difference with the way we love and treat each other. Even though we come from diverse backgrounds, we are all one under the sovereignty of God. This is Today with Jeff Vines. All right, how many of you have seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life? All right, how many, of you, how many of you have not seen It's a Wonderful Life? Wow. Great movie. Great movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And I want to start a series this weekend. I want you to give me a little bit of uh, mercy here uh, and grace and a little bit of patience because we're going to go through some key passages in the Old Testament for the Christmas story. I always do the New Testament, but to set it all up, we've got to do what we're going to do here and now. This is a series called Wonderful. And if you know anything about the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, first of all, did you know it was a box office flop? Did you know that? because of the stiff competition and, and how much it cost to make the movie. Uh, it, the year it came out, it just flopped. But since then, it has become uh, one of the most hundred inspirational movies of all time. They say that it's the most popular Christmas movie now ever produced. It's downloaded more times and watched more times than any other Christmas movie. And it's not even about Christmas. Think about it. It's just about winter and uh, the life of George Bailey. And remember what happens? Played by who? Jimmy Stewart. And Jimmy Stewart comes to the conclusion through a series of unfortunate events that his life really stinks and that the world and his community and his wife and children, it would be better off. They would be better off without him. So he starts to wish as though he had never been born. And then the heavens hear the prayer and they send down who? Clarence Oddbody. What a name. Who did have an odd body that we see later when he dives into the river. And Clarence Oddbody tries to convince him of what the world would have been like. He actually gives him a wonderful gift, an experience of knowing and seeing what the world would have been like had George Bailey never been born. And at the end of the movie, of course, George Bailey realizes the impact he's made on every life and then it truly is a wonderful life. Now, every time, uh, my daughter and I watch that movie every Christmas right after we watch Christmas Vacation. Watch them back to back. And we watch Christmas Vacation so I can show her what my relatives are like and Cousin Eddie. And then after that, we go on to It's a Wonderful Life. 
The point is, every time I watch It's a Wonderful Life, really, you think this doesn't happen, but every time I think of the Yaroslav Pelican quote that says, regardless of what any person may believe or think about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. And he goes on to say that if you were to kind of have a super magnet and you were to pull everything out of Western civilization that Jesus has touched or influenced, there'd be basically nothing left. Now, here's what I want to do to set up the stage, because I don't know about you, but are you having trouble getting in the Christmas spirit, anybody? I am this year, first year, and a long, long time. I don't know why. Uh, usually, I listen to Christmas music November 1st, but I haven't even put it on yet. But the reality is, I haven't gotten into the Christmas spirit, so I want to help you, and I want to help you by doing this. I want you to realize, and man, if you're in education, this is, this is going to be your kind of weekend, I want you to realize the impact Jesus has made on your life, whether you know it or not and on Western culture and civilization, more specifically, not only on the world, but in the United States of America, because his imprint and impact is all over the place. If you'll just stay with me here, let me, let me start with an example, the calendar. You know that if you go to the calendar, and most of you don't carry one of these around with you, I realize that. Notice mine has golf photos on it. But if you go to December 25th, that's the day on which many people believe Jesus was born. Now, I know that Jesus was not born on December 25th. How do you know that? Well, we know that he's more probably born around April. You know that, right? We celebrate it because this is the day that the Christians chose to celebrate the birth. Now, what they usually did, the Christians are notorious for this, they took something that was in the culture, usually had pagan roots with it, like your Christmas tree. You know, your Christmas tree has pagan roots. It was a celebration of winter solace. The Christians came along and said, we're going to redeem this, and we're going to put these trees, about 1,100, we're going to put these trees in our homes to celebrate new life that came because of Jesus' birth into the world. And we're going to decorate them with ornaments that celebrate the good things God gives us because of life in Christ. So they took things in the culture. So some people, some Christians will say, I'm not going to have a Christmas tree because it's got pagan origins. Folks, just about everything has pagan origins. And so the Christians came in to redeem the culture. So when I hear Christians say, well, I'm not going to have a tree. Well, why not? Well, it's got pagan origins. Look, we take what is there, we redeem and restore and give it. We take what is evil in the same way that, 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 that the evil one takes what is good and tries to turn it for evil. We are consistently doing what God does. We take the evil meant in the world and we use it and take it for good. Now, one of those things that happened is that they believed Jesus was born on December 25th and they counted eight days after, eight days after Jesus was born and you'll find that that's January 1st. Now that's based on Luke chapter 2. When the shepherds return, they're glorifying and praising God. And, and verse 21 says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now in Israel, you started counting on the day the child was born. And on the eighth day, the baby would be brought into the temple, circumcised and given its name. Eight days after December 25th is January 1st. Do you realize Jesus changed the way we measure time, years, months? Did you know that? Did you know the way they dated things before Jesus was born was completely different? I'll get to that in a moment. When Jesus stepped into the world, all of a sudden the calendar changed. January 1st now became the new year. It became the new year because December 25th was the day we believe Jesus was born. And now Jesus, this carpenter son from an obscure village in the middle of nowhere who never held or led a military campaign and was never elected president of anything, he changed the way we look at all human history. Now, the, the question is why? Because Jesus brought something that you will not find anywhere in the ancient world. He brought hope. Think about it. Now stay with me. This will kind of set the stage. For you and I, every time a new year comes, we think life should get better. It's a part of our Western civilization. So we make resolutions, right? We think, okay, in the new year, I'm going to get a gym membership and my body's going to be better next year than last year. 
And of course it's not, and you'll break it after about four to six weeks, but we still do it. There's an expectation. We think that we're going to make more money next year. At least we hope we will. We hope that our family will be closer. If you're a golfer, you hope to go from a six down to a two handicap. So you practice and work really hard. You think you're going to have a better life. You go to the gym, you make a five-year plan. You say, Pastor Jeff said, if I'm going to go to there from here, I've got to have a plan. So I've got a strategy. It's not just going to happen accidentally. So you make plans, you put it in your diary, you make news resolutions most of which are broken, right? But there's something in Western civilization that really believes that next year can be better than the year before. Now, that is something that the ancient world did not have. You will find that nowhere in ancient civilization until Jesus came and changed everything. In the ancient world, life was cyclical. It went round and round and round. You had ups and downs, but in the end, you always ended up where you began because in their mind, classes were fixed. The dice had been rolled in your life. The walls were impenetrable between the classes. And if you were born here, you're going to remain here because that was the will of the gods. And then Jesus came. And all of a sudden, these band of brothers, these disciples started to teach that all of history is God's story. God's story, the story. And God's story is about restoring and redeeming and renewing and transforming lives, giving new beginnings and new possibilities that each man with each new year with the power of God could improve him or herself and could have a future glorious uh, human experience. And that's why Jeremiah 29, 11 was one of the most popular verses in the first church. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And here's the point. You and I take for granted that life somehow should bring progress, that time should bring improvement. But that is an idea the ancient world did not have. In fact, before Jesus, things were dated quite, uh, let's just say clumsy. In fact, in Luke chapter uh, two, verse one and two, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And here's how it's dated. The census was taken. uh, It took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Well, why don't you just tell me the date? (laughs) Why don't you just tell me the date of the birth of Christ? Why don't you just tell me the exact date of when the census was taken? Because before Jesus, before the issuing of the calendar, before new year, before hope, things were dated on the basis of of the year of the reigning emperor. So you would say in the first year of Tiberius Caesar, in the third year of Nero, in the eighth year of Hadrian. And then this man, Jesus comes along, this crucified, poverty-stricken carpenter from Nazareth, from nowhere. And by the sixth century, 600 years after Jesus, there was a monk living in Rome by the name of Dionysius Exegus. He proposed a whole new system for reckoning history. And he said that we should base the calendar not on the pagan myth of the founding of Rome, but upon the historical reality of the incarnation of the carpenter, Jesus Christ. And everything changed. And the creation of the calendar was not just a chronological convenience. It was a theological statement that life is not an accident. It's not cyclical. That we are here by purpose. That there's a story and a storyteller. And the most critical event of all human history was the entrance into the world of the Jewish carpenter named Jesus who brought hope. So now we measure, anytime you pick up a calendar, anytime you pick up a calendar, anytime you boot a computer up, anytime you look at a newspaper, You're being reminded that all human history now is dated by the entrance of this man, Jesus, who was from nowhere, an obscure village, born in a cave, and yet he has impacted all human history. He was called Lord of Lords, King of Kings. People in the first century laughed at that. People today still laugh at that. And I'm sure there are people in here maybe that even find that humorous. However, the fact remains that 2,000 years after the birth of this carpenter, every time a human being thinks about time or dates, You remember Jesus has become the hinge of human history. And that's why we say Nero died in the year of our Lord, AD 68, or that Napoleon, the emperor to the world, 
died in the year of our Lord, 1821. Isn't it amazing that every king, every dictator, every ruler, every nation, no matter how powerful, rise and falls, must be dated by the life of Jesus. (laughs) Someone who never held a political office, someone who never led a military campaign, and yet we date the major events of the world around his life. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Today's message is about some of the things that would be different in the world had Jesus not come, including our calendars and holidays. Let's keep going. This is, this is fun for me. It's fun for me. I don't know what it's like for you, but let's talk about Sunday for him. You know, without Jesus, there'd be no Sunday, right? All of it originated originally out of the people of Israel who kept what we call the Sabbath because that's the day in which God rested and created and six days rested on the Sabbath. They were the only culture in ancient civilization to deliberately give up a day of potential economic gain so that they could serve and worship and honor God who provides all things. And today only one business still gets that. Who is it? Chick-fil-A. So the truth is though, by the end of the first century, everything began to shift from the Sabbath to the first day of the week. And the reason why is because that was the day, it was called the Lord's day. That was the day on which Jesus rose from the dead. So again, if you wonder why we meet on Sunday rather than Saturday is because there was a shift in that first century where 15,000 Jews stopped keeping the Sabbath and went to the first day of the week to worship because that's the day on which Jesus came back from the dead and gave us all hope. And Pliny the Younger, who's a historian, wrote on a certain fixed day, the first day of the week, the resurrection day, the Lord's day. And again, by 70 AD, when John writes the book of Revelation, he says, on the Lord's day, it had already become commonplace. I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet. So do you realize that the workings and doings of this carpenter from nowhere changed not only the way we keep time and the way we date things, but also Sunday would eventually become the world's day off because of this obscure carpenter from a little town of Nazareth, Jesus would change all of human history. Now let's keep going. So you have Jesus to think for a day off, whether you're a Christian or not, is derived from the Jesus movement. You understand that? Even the idea of a day off without pay is derived from the Jesus movement. You'll find it nowhere in the ancient world. Keep going. You know, this year you're going to walk around. A lot of people are going to not say Merry Christmas. What are they going to say instead? I find this interesting. Here's why I find it interesting. Number one, uh, I go back to Lexington, Kentucky every year, uh, sometime in the fall to see my wife's parents. I'm really close to them. They live in Lexington. There's this place called Lexington Horse Park. At Christmas time, they turn it into Lexington Christmas Park. And what you can do is you drive to this horse park and all this beautiful scenery and they've got light shows everywhere. Now about 10 years ago, and it's been less than 10 years, you could drive in and you would tune your car radio to a AM FM frequency and they would play Christmas music the whole time and it would be Christmas carols, you would have nativity scenes, you would have all things pertaining to the Christian worldview of the birth of Jesus Christ. And then, I don't know, I guess about nine, seven, eight, nine years ago, it all changed. Now, when you drive in there, you'll hear no carols and you'll see nothing related to the Christ child and everything will say happy, happy holidays and you'll see Santa and elves and reindeer and what's on. It's all changed, even in the Bible Belt of America, Lexington, Kentucky. Now, the reason they give you is because they say we don't want to offend people. Well, what about me? Do I not count? You're offending me? I mean, this is amazing to me. Uh, still over half the population claims to be Christians. So, and you say you, don't, you do it because you don't want to offend anybody. Well, you're offending over half the population. The other thing is this. You're not really removing anything by saying holiday. You know where holiday comes from, don't you? Holy day. It's the holy day. It comes from this band of brothers, band of believers originating out of the Jesus movement. And they set aside holy days to remember Primarily Christmas and Easter, the most influential days of all history when it comes to God and his relationship to man. As a matter of fact, I was a a member of a golf club that shall remain nameless. 
uh, right here in Southern California. And every year they'd start this happy holidays, happy holidays, happy holidays. And it would just tick me off. And one day, have you ever had a day you just didn't feel like being (laughs) Christ-like? Or has that just happened to me? Sometimes you just don't want to be like Christ. And I know it's willful sin and I know it's not good, but I've had those days too. And you'd know I was lying if I didn't say that. And so uh, everybody kept wishing me happy holidays. So finally, I just turned to this guy and I said, thank you very much. It is a happy, holy day. And he said to me, he said, what do you mean holy day? I said, well, it's a holy day. It's the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. God has come into the world. He's Emmanuel, God with us. So thank you for wishing me happy, holy day. And by the way, Merry Christmas. And... uh, so you have those times. Remember what I said, do as I say, not as I do, because I, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. That wasn't good. The point is this. The point is this. He has impacted the day we take off. He has impacted all of our holy days. They have their Christian and, and pagan origins, but the Christian culture and the band of believers that Jesus movement came in to restore and redeem all of mankind and all of culture, but it gets better. And I'd love doing stuff like this. Let's take this mechanical clock really fast and put it right here. And let's take this little church building. I want to explain something to you that the whole reason behind mechanical clocks for centuries in these monastic communities uh, they oriented their days around prayer to God and Jesus Christ. And these prayers were called the prayers of the hours. That's why still today in Glendora, the bells go off at the top of every hour. Now they may not know why they're going off, but that's derived from that these monks made mechanical clocks that would sound an alarm at the top of every hour, which is why in small communities all over America, you have these little church buildings with a little bell and they still ring at the top of the hour. You trace that back to the monks making mechanical clocks so they would know the time to pray, the hours the prayer prayer of the hours. So I'm not saying that people in Glendora, every time they hear the bell, start kneeling down and praying. I'm simply saying that it's derived from the practice of the monks wanting to know what time of what day to pray. And so in the 13th century, Benedictine monks created mechanical clocks. So every time you look at your watch and every time you look at a clock, you are remembering whether you recognize it or not. You're acknowledging whether you recognize it or not, the Jesus movement and its impact on our world. Now, today we tell time with a different institution. What is it? Banks, because we worship something different today than they did back then, right? Now, here's my favorite part. My favorite part. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, the apostle Paul says here, and he's talking about in the Christian community, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. And he says, as a result, let's have compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Do you realize that before the Jesus movement, there was no such thing as equality in the ancient world? There was no hope that we could all come together with diversity. There was no equality between men and women. There was no equality between the different races. Again, everything was cyclical. If you were born into this race, you were designed to be stuck there for the rest of your life and you would be treated as less than everybody else. It was only until the Jesus movement came and Jesus talked about that gender and nationality and economic status should not make a difference with the way we love and treat each other. Read the book of James sometimes. He spends an entire book almost talking about the rich and the poor. In Jesus' mind, in the minds of those who follow Jesus, all were equal, all were to be loved, all were to be valued. Just please understand that that was nowhere to be found in the ancient world until Jesus. And this band of believers, this Jesus movement, believed that every single human being, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, status, wealth, gender, moral background, education, all were to be included and loved and transformed. As a matter of fact, you go to a coin right now in your pocket and you'll find the words of pluribus unum. It means out of the many one. It has its history in the Jesus movement. Jesus believed and his believers believed that we were all, even though we come from diverse backgrounds, we are all one under the sovereignty of God. So every, even your coins, even 
your traditions, even your Christmas trees, whatever it is, you're going to find your origins all the way back to the Jesus movement. In fact, before Jesus and his disciples in ancient Greece and Rome, it was only the beautiful and the noble and the strong that were valued. If you were weak and marginal in classical society, then you were generally not valued and often you were treated with great brutality. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying that if you had a deformed child, that child would be thrown into the river and drowned. If you, if you had a baby and you wanted a boy instead of a girl, then you would expose them to the heat of the sun or to the cold and frigid air and they would die slow and painful death. It was agreed that if you were weak, you shouldn't and you don't deserve to be in the world. Seneca, a first century Stoic said this, we drown children at birth when they are weak and abnormal. It wasn't just part of the world, folks. It was part of the known world. But then the disciples came on the scene. Understand what I'm saying? Before the Jesus movement in ancient civilization, there was no equality. And if you were deformed in any way, if you didn't fit into society, you were just killed. And then Jesus came along. And the disciples, after Jesus' departure, remember that Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And that started a movement where the Christians started finding children who had been abandoned and taking them into their own homes and nurturing them and caring for them, even though they weren't even related to them. Because the Jesus movement valued life like no movement before. In fact, we read about a guy by the name of Beningus of Dijon, a follower of Jesus who nursed, supported, and protected a number of deformed children and crippled children, and he saved them from their imminent deaths after failed abortions and exposures. They warned him to stop because he was rebelling against the ancient world. He refused to stop, and they took his life. He gave his life for the compassion of widows and orphans. Now, that movement, the Jesus movement, has sparked that all over our world today. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and that's all we have time for today, but we'll continue to hear about how Jesus changed the world in which we live. Do you understand if you have no Jesus, you have no 12 steps, no Jesus, no AA, no Jesus, no transformational power to overcome whatever it is that's destroying your life. Now, I am not saying that apart from Jesus, there would never have been some kind of actionable plan of human kindness or transformational practices. I'm simply saying that as a matter of historical reality, it all began with a poverty-stricken, crucified carpenter. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 